Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho? What is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head. 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life, mm -hmm. and you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are, some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hey, good evening and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest. Dwayne England, Tommy Donlan here in studio, six o'clock, buddy, and we are back. Here we are. One week later, and you know, I, I thought I said it last week, this stuff kind of writes itself. It does. Just give it a week because it's a whole other chapter, It right? is. It is. It it's totally unbelievable. Is. There's so much going on. So glad you could all join us this evening. We have a lot of content to get through. Uh, we have Brian Blake back joining us in the studio once again this week. Why? Because he is a man in the know. He's going to help explain a whole lot of this stuff. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, hopefully some of you guys get out this week, a little fishing, a little clam digging uh, when those dates are available. And just uh, there are things to do. Mm. How about the weather window? Oh, it's beautiful. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's amazing. We got out on a river yesterday, floated it. Uh, my buddy Dave Calhoun and Lucas Holmgren, formerly of SDS and uh, Lamb of Glass and whatnot. But yeah. uh, three of us spending a, a day on a river floating. Uh, we could fish from the boat. We could pull plugs, which I did. And water conditions look just prime time. Um, hopefully there's a few more fish showing up in February. Is seems to be the rumor, but you know, if you don't go, you won't know. So That's right. you got to go to know. That's what and, I always you say. You know, it's just so great to get back on the water, just in the drift boat, doing what we love to do, floating, mm -hmm. no rain, cold in the morning, like it should be winter steelhead and just the opportunity to be out there and just enjoy and not a lot of pressure, man. Just a couple boats on the river. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. Just kind of a great reset. Better than what I've been doing, working my butt off. Yeah, but hey, that's well, okay. One you know, of us has to play. We got those days, too. Yeah. But, uh, boy, when we can take advantage. Because, again, this time of year, January and February, Tommy and I talk about this. It's not just about providing content, but it's also about what is truly going on out there. Yeah. And so with... What we have an opportunity, recreation-wise, hunting and fishing, mm -hmm. it's kind of in that limbo stage almost, right? It is. For a yep. lot of people that only choose to fish one or two types of fisheries in a season, you may have not fished for quite a while, and you're waiting for spring to get here, right. whatever it is. But there are some things we can do. The other side of that is if we pay attention to what's truly going on behind the scenes, that allows us to either be on the water or in the woods throughout the remainder of the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what we're really dialed in on January, February, and it'll it'll carry on into March. I mean, once we break open uh, preseason forecasts and jump into north of Falcon, some of this stuff keeps going. Thankfully, we get to start talking about things that matter, fishing and hunting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got to get some of this stuff resolved so we can continue to do what it is we enjoy. That's right. And tonight's show is a whole lot of that. 
plus uh, definitely some fishing, some video stuff we get to bring to you. But lots going on. I want to thank everybody for signing on. You got questions, comments, what have you. Join us here. Send them in on Messenger. Uh, remember, you can check out what we have going on each and every week on all our social media platforms. And please jump over to our website, fishonnw.com. Fishonnw.com, the online store, all kinds of swag and things there. We got a whole new lineup of items coming out. We're going to be down at the Sportsman Show. More on that later. But yeah, check out the webpage. Tons of activity, lots of good info in, in that regard. So uh, with that, Tommy... Got a few things going on. What do you got? We do. So, you know, part of the advantage of me getting to do this show with you is that I get I get to learn about all those things that I would have never even thought of. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't even cross my mind. Right? And, Such and, as. And one of those is has to do with the mystical kokanee, which <laughs> you still haven't taken me fishing for. Just, right. Just, just so you know. Yeah. Um, you know, but one of the recent, uh, you know, title subjects here is... The Merwin Reservoir Dam is drawing down the mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I first of all, never heard of this reservoir. Never even crossed my mind. You said <laughs> it's being drawn down. I'm thinking, well, why does that matter? What's going on? And then you tell me about this, you know, pretty darn good kokanee fishery that mm-hmm. they have there mm-hmm. and how many hatchery kokanee they release mm-hmm. and how this has the ability to negatively impact those fish. So can you break that down for us? So the concern here, and this is the great thing about doing what it is we do. Uh, a lot of people are contacting us throughout the week now when stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And there were several people that put this on my radar. So you have a well-known reservoir, a well-known kokanee fishery. That, for the west side here... It's kind of an outlier in that it continues to perform in the winter months. Guys go there and successfully catch kokanee. It's one of those additional fisheries that we have access to that we can do. Well, there's some maintenance or whatever need to be done, I believe, on the dam uh, that creates the reservoir. And, and they, uh, they needed to draw the water down. So you have Merwin, you have Yale above it. Mm-hmm. And uh, some work need to be done by Pacific Corp, who owns and operates the, the power generation. Um, so some work is needed to be done. They have, we, I've been led to believe by a handful of folks, they have weekly meetings between persons that run the dam facilities, the dam facilities mm-hmm. and the power generation. And then you have hatchery production of various species involved. Mm-hmm. This is a, uh, this is a, uh, tributary into the Cowlitz. It's, it's, our uh, Columbia, it's, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of hands in this thing. Mm-hmm. And so if you have maintenance to perform and you know you have fish that reside, you would think that if you're going to lower the water level in said reservoir, um, spawn timing, all those things to come into effect here. Mm-hmm. Kokanee predominantly begin to spawn in certain areas, parts of the region, October, November. They're in the gravel laying eggs. Hatch right. out is approximately 90, 95 days later, depending on water temperature. So we're getting into that first two weeks of January. Well, if you start a drawdown on a reservoir, second week of January, are you convinced, because you haven't talked to anybody, as in hatchery managers or fish managers or program managers who oversee this thing, are we convinced that we're not going to jeopardize any of the eggs that still might be in the gravel? Now, the hatchery uh, program is uh, pretty much on par. They got their egg take. As you mentioned, there is a hatchery component to this. They put in about Mm 93,000 kokanee per season, partially released in the spring, partially released in the fall, different size of fish based on number of fish per pound. It's all calculated. The interesting thing on this particular fishery, they hadn't done any studies since in the 80s, which would tell them what is the 
What is the larger participating component to this? Do we have a higher survivability of our wild propagation, or is mm -hmm. it predominantly a hatchery-based uh, put-and-take type of a fishery? Mm -hmm. They don't know because they don't clip. Okay, so they have no idea. So the frustration here is you have a couple different entities that work closely together. We're talking about fish management. We're talking about successful opportunity in the future for harvest. Um, we don't know what the outcome of this will be. WDFW staff, based on public outcry, then went there, apparently kicked some rocks, and we're looking. They said they didn't right. find anything. Yeah, so think about this. You've got, you know, eggs in the gravel. Mm -hmm. You've got maybe some that have hatched. Mm -hmm. And think about maybe what size those, those tiny little fish or eggs are, right? They're about this. And so you walk out there, and you go, oh, yeah, I don't we're good. Hey, guys, we're good. I don't see we're anything. Good. I don't see anything. I don't see this, anything. This is definitely not a problem. Let's go back to the office. So there is a there is a kokanee out of the hatchery uh, post, obviously, hatch out in a um, couple weeks. And so if they're that size and the water's being drawn down, they're swimming out. They're going down with the water. Mm -hmm. They're going to stay at the water's edge. They're going to they're navigate with the water. But if they're still in egg in the gravel, they're left high and dry. Right. And they drain that creek down. Substantially, guys had told me they hadn't ever seen it drawn down that far, and you know maybe they do know what they're doing. Maybe they maybe they time this out that they didn't have a concern or care that they would leave uh, that they would leave kokanee high and dry in the gravel. But the lack of communication, the lack right. of uh, showing any concern, and then the finger pointing kind of started. And then they also wanted to know, hey, who are these guys calling, sniffing around, wanting to have, wanting to get answers? to what, what we're doing here as far as the work being done. So, you know, some things we commonly talk about with WDFW and persons that oversee programs, accountability and transparency. Mm -hmm. And that's all the recreational community wants, accountability and transparency. And, and so if it's not a problem, just come out and say, hey, yeah, we, right. we had surveyed and we know our timing of our wild fish spawn and when right. they're out of the gravel and we felt pretty confident by mid-January, we could flush this and no harm, no foul. Everybody be like, okay, great. Now, the other side of this, at some point, three years from now, we're going to know. There's either going to be yeah. no yep. fish or, okay, so uh, on a positive note, because coconut are based on carrying capacity and, and nutrient mm -hmm. amount, mm -hmm. the fact that they potentially eliminated a large percentage of this year's brood, we could have some really nice-sized coconut. Right, because you said, what, what's a typical size for Merwin? Uh, they're 11 to 14 okay. on a good year, you know. Yeah, perfect halibut bait size. Yeah, perfect halibut yeah. bait okay. size. So there's just a lot of people. Now, look, I have to I have to come out and say, look, I've only been to Merwin a few times. Herzog and I have fished it successfully a few times. Mm -hmm. Beautiful place to fish. Uh, boat launch is kind of limited as far as number of uh, persons that can park there and whatnot. That being said, it's a great little kokanee fishery. Uh, it's a bit of a destination. It's it's an hour up a windy road off a main highway, which is fine. Mm. I mean, but uh, I'm not there a whole lot, so I don't have a lot of stake in the game other than as a recreational angler and one who has appreciation for kokanee, mm -hmm. both on the table and on the bottom of the saltwater. That's right. Amen. <laughs> right? Amen. Uh, I, would like to, I would like to know that uh, we're doing everything we can to make sure we're not just blowing this stuff off and, right. and it's like, hey, let's just go get the work done. Who cares about the fish? So... It was worth a mention. Some folks asked if we wouldn't talk about it. If WDFW has more information or if, uh, if um, 
Pacific Corp has information they want to come out with, by all means, please hit us up. We'd love to uh, report on the factuals. This is all the factuals we have for right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of unknown. So there, there's where that's at. Uh, hey, moving forward, Tommy, um, Columbia River Policy C3630. This is one that a number of folks had contacted me on. Basically, it's the ongoing uh, continuous saga um, conversation between ODFNW and WDFW mm-hmm. and coming to uh, common ground on how we're going to manage this Columbia River fishery, both in regards to recreational and commercial opportunity. So, as it sits right now, you know, they came out with preseason forecasts, and I got to tell you, um, in 2021, the upriver forecast for Spring Chinook was 75,000. This year, going into 22, it's 122, almost 123,000. Wow. So, the Spring Chinook forecast for Upper Columbia is up quite a bit. Lower River, it was 68. Moving into 22, it's 74,000. Um, total spring, spring Chinook then for 21 was 143,000. Now we're up to 197,000. Wow. If it just barely overperforms a bit, we're talking 200,000 Spring Chinook. Right. Which is pretty respectable. Uh, the uh, the Cowlitz River, 1,800 fish in 21. They're projected to get over 4,100. Mm. So we have some opportunity here for a pretty decent Spring Chinook run. The problem is... We haven't come to agreement between Washington and Oregon and how we're going to manage this fishery, mm-hmm. both in in recreational, but more so in commercial opportunity harvest quota, right? Yeah. You're saying the percentage split is different between Oregon and Washington. Yeah, so if you're a commercial fisherman and you're licensed out of Oregon, I mean, you're probably going, yeah, we got an 80-20 split. Over there in Washington, they're, they're holding the line at 70-30. Mm-hmm. Um, gear selection is also one that continues to be a point of contention. Mm-hmm. Um, Washington is, hey, Gillnet's back in the main stem. Uh, Oregon's toting the line with selective gear, tangle nets, persane, pound nets, that type of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, not to beat this to death, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the management plan as they're bringing it together. And maybe Brian will weigh in on this a little later. But I think the gist of it is we're still at a disagreement. We're still at a to-be-determined to later. And Spring Chinook's just around the corner. Right. So I'm not sure where this is going to land. Of course, we have a lot of the fish, uh, fish conservation groups weighing in. Um, they don't want gillnets back in the main stem. They, uh, you know, they want to sound management plan Mm -hmm. right now we don't have that right most of the when i looked down that chart it looked to me like most of the sport fishing side of the house aside from the split between commercial and sport most of the regulations were in line yeah um in terms of gear selection that kind of thing but at most of the difference i saw was in gear selection for the commercial side gill net versus not correct selective gear versus not and the percentage of split right yeah overall so uh hopefully they get concurrent in this stuff and uh, can can put out the regulations for a season, and we can all go fishing, and uh, everybody wins. So uh, more on that uh, moving forward. All right. Um, hey, so last week we talked to our buddy Kyle Bushelman, Willamette Valley Outfitters, went down and spent a day with him on Oregon Coastal uh, River, Tommy. Had a great time. Going to bring you that video later on. Um, but it, it brings forward, once again, the conversation of, hey, how about those broodstock programs in Washington? Right. What do we have going on? What, what are we doing in Washington with broodstock steelhead programs? So I made a handful of phone calls and some texting, and, and I landed with a, with a few folks that oversee some of these programs in Washington State. The conversation was fantastic, and I was excited. I was told, because I don't need the information like right now, this is a conversation I would like to have within the next few weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever's convenient. Because I know staff at WDFW is extremely busy. 
Uh, there's a lot of things going on. They're ramping up getting ready for North of Falcon, mm -hmm. which, mind you, is all salmon salmon uh, regulations and whatnot. We're talking mm -hmm. steelhead here. We're still within season. Uh, I was really hoping to have that conversation, kind of break down the programs we have currently in the state, the recognized broodstock programs, some of the successes, maybe some of the things we're doing here uh, to let you all know really what is going on behind the scenes as it relates to steelhead broodstock programs in the state of Washington. I got a text message three days later, basically said, yeah, sorry, we don't have time. And I'm going to tell you, I was a little pissed. Right. And, and I'm not... Because your, your first interaction was, yeah, I'm all for it, let's do it. It sounded very right? positive, right? Yeah, and I yeah, was yeah. like, great, because the followers of our information on our show, Tommy, they rely on us to try and dig this stuff up and have these conversations. Right. And, and a number of times, WFW staff has been you know, very willing to come on the show. We've had, a, had various folks here in studio, mm -hmm. numerous phone conversations, all the way up to Director Siswin's been on the show, um, Nate Pamplin, Policy director's been on the show. Really good conversations over the years. Uh, to be told, yep, we can do this because they saw the value in the educational component. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking the worker bees got told from the top or something. It ain't happening. You don't talk to those And guys, I don't right? understand why. Okay? We talk to be face value. We talk transparency. Look, if you have a program going on within WDFW, you're a fisheries manager, and you have information yeah. That would be beneficial for us to know and understand. So on social media, they quit, like, just blowing you up. Why wouldn't you be forward with that information? Right, right. Why wouldn't you well, come and, out? And who funds you, right? I mean, exactly. you, isn't it a publicly mm -hmm. funded entity? Yeah. So why not tell us how that money, how those funds are being spent? Yeah. So I was a little bit, you know, I was like, huh, boy, I'm grinding my teeth on this. I don't want to sit here and throw rocks at WDFW, but doggone it. Let's get on the show and let's talk about mm -hmm. the broodstock programs. Mm -hmm. There's no lose here. Right. In my mind, there's only a win because you're going to be able to show the efforts and the work you put forth. And we, the participating anglers uh, in this state, will gain knowledge mm -hmm. and possibly some respect for what the effort being put out there by WDFW staff. Mm -hmm. And truly what, you know, are we participating in broodstock programs and what mm -hmm. does that look like? Mm -hmm. If not, what are we hiding? Right. So, and I don't know. If we can't get WDFW, we should get ODFW to come on and comment about their broodstock program. How successful And then maybe it is. they know something about the, the Washington broodstock program. <laughs> hey, what kind of dirt you got yeah. on WDFW, <laughs> right? You know, we're not, yeah. uh, look, I'm not going to, you know, throw out names and, and, and um, you know, start cussing and, and stomping my feet. But, hey, all we're asking for is to have the conversation for an educational, you know, stroll down broodstock lane, so to speak. I right. just want to know what's going on with some of this stuff. I have an idea on some of these programs. Mm -hmm. I've talked to some of them. Uh, albeit it's mostly some of the tribal hatcheries mm -hmm. and what they're participating in, uh, you know, with the state. Yeah. Very forthcoming. Maybe we need to start there. There we go. Let's maybe start we'll start there. with the, maybe start we'll start there. with the tribal broodstock programs and get a, get a gauge on why they're so su successful and what's going on there. So anyway, more to come on that, hopefully. Okay. More to come on that, hopefully. So, um, what else I got here? Oh, before we move on, Tommy, before I forget, hey, how about these new fancy mugs? Shane I know. Got? Check this out. Uh, this is awesome. This is, I'm back in black, baby. Right there. I just love the Hunter Orange. You do? I'm Fish on Northwest. Yeah. So these new coffee mugs will be available at the Sportsman Show. Yeah. And uh, buy, buy a mug, get a free cup of coffee. What's going to be in that mug, Tommy? Fisherman's Brew. Absolutely. 100% yes. Fisherman's Brew. If you haven't signed on, man, you need to. Please, uh, please go to Fisherman'sBrew.com. 
buy a couple bags, give them to your friends, put them in your thermos, whether you're on the water or in the woods, you're going to enjoy it. Very, very good coffee. These guys are doing great things. Small business here in Washington, Tommy. 5% of what they do goes to salmon recovery, which is fantastic. How can you not get on board and support that? So, uh, Yes, Fisherman's Brew, and we will have bags of it for sale in our booth mm-hmm. at the Sportsman Show. We'll be selling the mugs. Walk away with a few mugs and a bag of coffee. Sounds like a party. We're good to go. I think Sean Finney wants to know if he can get any Jack Daniels in his cup. I don't know that that's allowed, Sean. Mm, well, if he comes show, to join us be... in studio, yeah, perhaps. Or is he talking to the Sportsman Show? I, I think he's talking to the Sportsman uh, Show. I don't think well, if Trina's that. driving, we'll, uh, we'll load him up. All right. And then we'll take video. <laughs> so anyway, all right, that's, uh, that's where we're at with that. Uh, okay, running down the show, Tommy. Lots going on, huh? Let's hear it. Uh, back in studio, former state uh, Washington State Representative Brian Blake is joining us once again. Yes, Brian was just here, and he was fantastic. Uh, there's a lot going on. We're going to review the recent Washington State Fish and Wildlife Commission appointees and try to understand uh, exactly who these folks are. Brian's going to help us walk through that and a few other points of discussion. Uh, Then we'll jump back down to Oregon. You know, Tommy, we did take some uh, amazing video, got a really nice video presentation uh, premiere of our Oregon Coastal Steelhead with Kyle Bushelman. Uh, We talked to Kyle last week, and now we're going to show you what a day on the water with him looks like, so stay tuned for that. Then we're going to jump back in with Brian here, current legislative uh, firearm bills that are getting a lot of attention. I can't wait for that discussion. Yeah, that's yep. going to be a good one. Good one. Um, look, when when you start drilling down on this stuff, it gets a little bit confusing mm-hmm. for the layperson. I'm not one who claims to know a ton about how these bills are drafted, and the language in there gets very frustrating at times. So you bring in a uh, you bring in the big gun himself, mm-hmm. Ryan Blake, who uh, actually was in. Uh, in as a representative and knock some of these in the dirt That's back right. in the day, right? Yep. So we got him back here to talk about some of these bills getting a lot of traction. Why are they so confusing? And uh, hopefully he can help us sort them out. And then we're going to close out the show with some upcoming events that you absolutely have to be sure to attend with us. So lots going on, my friend. Exciting times, Lots going man. on. So, all right, we are, uh, we're going to jump out for a quick break. Don't go anywhere. A couple minutes. We're going to come back. going to reintroduce you to Brian Blake, former Washington State representative, joining us here tonight. We're going to walk through this recent list of appointees, fish and wildlife commissioners. Who are they, and what does the future hold for fishing and hunting in Washington State? Be right back here. A couple minutes, Fish on Northwest. Sportco, an outdoor emporium is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer, offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. It's easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. 
The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips. Or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Hey, we are good. Welcome back, Fish on Northwest, Dwayne England, Tommy Dolan, and our guest, Brian Blake, former representative of Washington State, and joining us back in the studio here. Hey, folks, sorry about the delay, equipment issues, things happen, but we are moving on. Brian, so glad you could join us. You bet. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're back. Uh, we were talking before the, uh, the audio debacle. Uh, mm -hmm. Dinner, man. How was dinner? Dinner was absolutely spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you can have goose for dinner and the, the rice and, mm -hmm. and uh, of course, the asparagus was good and the tuna. Starting off uh, with a little tuna appetizer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not too shabby, huh? Yeah. So we like to do it up around here, especially when we have guests join us. And, and uh, last time we weren't able to do the dinner thing, so we wanted to... Wanted to get it out there tonight. So, yes, that's what you're in for when you come join us here in studio, and uh, it's a great start. Now, getting back into the show here, uh, a couple things going on this week, as you are well aware. I mean, we have a lot of activity at legislative session right now. Natural Resources Committee, both the House and Senate, extremely busy this time of year, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, uh, bills have to be out of the House of a Committee of Origin uh, by Tuesday, I think. Oh, really? Or um, early February. Yeah, yeah early, early February. Maybe okay. Tuesday. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, a couple things. So, Tommy and I last week touched on a number of House and Senate bills that would weigh heavy on some of the future decision-making processes here in Washington State as it as it leans against, uh, you know, fishing and hunting and what have you. Uh, one that we know for certain is done and dead. Uh, Senate Bill 5721, which would have consolidated and put the commission as we know it, and the directors of WDFW and Parks and Rec and all that, those directors would have been under the oversee of the Lands Commission. Right. And currently seated by Hillary Fraun. She would have been the overseer of WDFW Commission, which also, and we were pretty aggressive on letting folks know, this would put them into the category of advisors, pretty much handcuffing them of any yeah. true decision-making because they're out of the policy writing game at that point, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I would say collectively in this room, the three of us are glad to see that went down in flames. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, that would have caused a dictatorship, that without would, a doubt. Yes, that would have been a little, yeah. little, uh, little bit conflicting. So uh, a couple, you know, CCA and a well-known lobbyists that we're all familiar with were the only two who spoke in favor of this at the hearing. Forty-seven folks sat and spoke in against of moving this under the uh, overseer of public lands. And then on your right end, you only had two pros versus 259 nays. So that's pretty overwhelming. A, a lot of the majority did not want anything to do with moving the commission and directors under the oversee of public lands. Yeah, and you saw that the chairman and, and the sponsor of the bill just pull yeah. it off the hearing yeah. schedule. Yeah, uh, right done. there at the end of the meeting. Okay. Yep. And there's another one that's come up, which is the Lorraine Loomis Act, House Bill 1828. Um, 38. This one was brought forward by Washington State Representative oh. um, Deborah Lekinoff, and she brought it forward, and now she's saying it's not going to pass, right? And she's saying, hey, we need more work with the tribes, more work with the farmers, uh, and also the fishing industry. And really, um, this is a habitat restoration bill, right? 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a couple things is this is this is a statewide impacting bill proposal. Um, and basically, if you live along the water, um, you would, if passed, you would be subject to this bill where, you know, the state could come in and then say, hey, um, you know, your habitat that you have along your shoreline is detrimental to the salmon. You need to fix that now. And oh, by the way, if you don't fix that, I'm going to fine you and I can fine you up to $10,000 a day. Um, what do you know about this one? Yeah, I think it was... Uh, um the issue is a good one. I agree. Uh, I think we all yes. believe in, in improving habitat. I mean, we, we're a little late to the game on some of these things, and now we have 7.5 million people in the state. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and folks are um, building in ways that impact um, habitat. And so it's the right issue. I think the construction of the bill uh, was doomed to failure, mm -hmm. and, and I think uh, a more collaborative process uh, will bringing people to the table. Yeah, and uh, uh, I think folks were kind of surprised at the last minute at the bill, and uh, and it did not go well. Yeah, and uh, but the, the issue is valid, and uh, I think myself, historically the timber industry stepped up with timber, fish, and wildlife back in '99, mm -hmm. and, and said, you know, we are going to go hand in hand with the the tribes, and and fix. Uh, the management of timber and streams and, and uh, very collaborative process and uh, that process is still ongoing. They meet all throughout the year and are still working through that. Downstream though, mm -hmm. I mean if you go out there um, and look at the stream crossings in uh, this fall, the, uh, uh, they finished the RMAP projects, mm -hmm. the road maintenance and abandonment planning projects. Okay. Uh, all the ones that were proposed are done. Now that huh? doesn't mean we're done. There's more as to a do. timber industry. There's more mm -hmm. work to be but sure. If you drive in the woods that the culverts are fixed, bridges mm -hmm. are installed, mm -hmm. um, uh, runoff is run onto the forest floor generally. And, yeah. and so so down so so they're right that the, the next fix is downstream. Uh, I would argue that the greater need is at the, the mouth of these rivers and the estuaries where cities are located. You know, you've got Seattle mm -hmm. where they literally washed the hill down into uh, the bay and filled the bay, which was all salmon habitat. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's work to be done. This bill was not ready for prime time. Uh, hopefully it prompts discussions and, uh, and folks uh, find a path forward. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, uh, I think there's definitely an opportunity here. I mean, I think what people really want to know is like, well, how do you prioritize the greatest need, right? Where are you going to fix habitat first? Mm -hmm. You know, how much is that going to cost, right? We saw, you know, Inslee brought forth a proposal for $187 million, um, you know, salmon bill. And, and part of that was um, a lot of it, actually, most of it was habitat reconstruction. But, but how do you manage that? How do you approach that? I think there's a lot of details that have to be worked out before it can be agreed to. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of catch up to do here, as I think you kind of alluded to there, Brian. I mean, we have a lot of these lower parts of our, you know, watered areas, previous estuary areas that were dike dammed, uh, reconfigured, turned into farmland because of the nutrient base. I mean, very fertile ground for farmland. Um, We've seen some of that go away. I mean, we saw that a number of years ago on the Nisqually Delta, 
blew out the dikes, reclaimed a lot of that, 470, 500 acres or so, just shy of, are now reflooded estuary waters for habitat, uh, rearing of salmon and, uh, and forage fish and everything else. And yeah. you can see that when the tide comes in and goes out, you see we have much more water up close to I-5 than we ever did previously. When I was a kid growing up, that water was way out there due to the dikes, right? Absolutely, and, <clears throat> and it's interesting, you know, so this was a, a statewide bill um, a couple years ago when we were talking about a hydraulic permit application program and, and uh, bulkheads, mm -hmm. um, uh, there was a number, it was at 25% of the uh, Puget Sound shoreline is uh, either got bulkheads or yeah. ar armoring. The hardening of the shoreline. And of course yeah. I had to ask, you know, I live out on the coast, so well, how much, what percentage of the, the coast is uh, hard armored? And they said, yeah, it's just, it's minuscule. Mm. Um, and so, you know, maybe these policies need to be targeted where um, we've got some big problems. Specific areas. And uh, Yeah, we've done the damage, to, you know, for years, right? So now we're trying to play catch up and it's a long, tedious process and there's way more hands involved now. You talk about developers and, and farmland and, and just, you know, urban sprawl and all these things that impact the, the reclaiming of habitat. It's hard to reclaim habitat when we keep destroying habitat at the same time or faster than. So they're heading in the right direction on this bill. Uh, I think it's great. They're gonna they're gonna uh, name it the Lorraine Loomis Act. I mean, everything she stood for in habitat. Yeah, and all, what you know. a wonderful woman. Yeah, yeah. they're 100 percent spot on, and rightfully so. She deserves credit for all her years of hard negotiations and where she drew the line, right? Um, but you're right. They got to find balance in this thing, and I think you said it best: is we need to bring the people along. Yeah. And to Tommy's point, you can't just go either do it or you're getting fined ten thousand bucks. It's like help me help you to get there. It's like, if you're telling me I got to plant this many trees, then help me find a way to do that financially or what have you. Let's figure this out. Cause I'm all for habitat restoration, mm -hmm. but not at the, uh, not at the cost of me having to basically sell my farm. Yeah. So we got to find balance there. So, um, moving along. So obviously it's no news to anybody in this room. And for a lot of you folks out there, if you've been following along, uh, governor Ansley did in fact appoint three, new commissioners to the commission this last week. Uh, again, those are appointees yet to be confirmed at some point by our senators. Or not. Or not, correct. Uh, we've seen that play out as well. Uh, we still have, you know, Lorna Smith is not confirmed. She's been, it's right about a year, I believe, on her on her appointment. Yeah, and I don't think uh, James Anderson, Jim Anderson. Yeah, I don't think Jim Anderson is, a, yeah, is so a there's, confirmed. There's five unconfirmed commissioners at this point in history. Yeah, that's almost historical. We'll get into some of these timetables here in a little bit, but um, moving forward, you know, we, we have three persons whose names come up and us as laypersons looking into this thing, trying to go, well, who are these people? Are they good for hunting and fishing? Do they care about the environment? Do they, well, you start reading their resumes and they are very educated people. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And for those that are walking or toting the line to say, this has to be all about science, the only way we're going to recover any of this is based on science. Okay, well, it does science does play a part. But, you know, we've seen how this goes, too. On the other side, when they push really hard for a particular agenda, Tommy, mm -hmm. or, you know, a certain base of persons you're trying to appease, uh, it, it's starting to get real political. Yeah. I mean, more than we've mm -hmm. seen in the past. Yeah, well, not only that, and then you've got this, you know, lack of confirmed appointments, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like... You know, the way it's all constructed now, I can hold it against your head. Yeah, I will appoint you to this position on the commission, but I could very well come back and say, 
oh, you know, I really don't feel like appointing you, right? Right. And, you know, as you pointed out, Brian, I think you said, by law, the commissioners are supposed to be appointed, um, shall be appointed within that 60-day period. But as you pointed out, there's just no consequence if these people are not, not confirmed within that period of time. Well, well not confirmed, just appointed. Just, just appointed. appointed. Okay. So there's one person in charge of appointing persons to the commission, correct? Right. The governor. And uh, like I said, we'll get into those timelines, but Tommy's right. It's like there's no penalty for not abiding by the 60-day uh, rule that is recognized in how this process moves forward. Yeah. There's been a lot of foot dragging in this whole thing, and then we're throwing some names at it and throwing some people at it. Let's face it, it hasn't exactly worked out to the best interest of all groups involved. So uh, let's just kind of walk through this here. Uh, Tim Reagan. Retired scientist, resides in Anacortes, and served as an executive director for the Marine Mammal Commission. Yeah. Now, let's face it. When I start reading through the resumes on these people, and that's one of the things that hits me in the face, first thing I start going is, look, we got a serious pinniped problem in this state. Right. Right? We have an overpopulation of a number of different species of pinniped, and we're not doing a whole lot about it. Yeah, we're calling a few right. sea lions. We're taking a few stellars out here and there. We already proved the, uh, the result at the Willamette Falls when they called 33 sea lions and they saw a tremendous rebound of wild steelhead stocks within a year. 18 month turnaround, you're talking 827 fish to 3,300. I'm spitballing some numbers here, but it's in, yeah. that, it's in that range, right? And that was simply the removal of 33 sea lions at the Willamette Falls, which is a man-made barrier our you know, uh, process of getting those fish up there. And look at the, look at the positive uh, you know, effect it had. So I read this, I see Tim Reagan, I start reading up on him and uh, you know, um, yeah, ma uh, Marine Mammal Commission, uh, doctoral degree, again, these, these folks are highly educated. Um, he has dedicated both his career and life to conservation of marine species such as stellar sea lions and the southern resident killer whale. Yeah. Now, one side of my head says, ah, okay, I'm grinding my teeth because he sounds like he's pro-advocate on these you know, sea lion populations. Mm -hmm. And the other side, he wants to save the killer whales, which to me sounds like he wants to make sure they get enough food. Right. I did a little digging on these folks, Tommy. I wanted to find out what they're about. I did find a thing in here which says, interestingly enough, Reagan supports the coal of sea lions Seals and sea lions, as a drastic, drastic measure, measure, we'll come back on that word, yeah. uh, and to save decreasing Chinook stocks, uh, and also then he's a strong advocate for saving the killer whales. So Tommy and I read through that, Brian, and it's like he supports the call of seals and sea lions as a drastic measure. If he just removed drastic, if he would just support calling of, of the pinnipeds where it's warranted, mm -hmm. And then the other side of him is all about saving the orca. I think we got somebody that, as, as far as the fishery side of things, mm -hmm. is probably beneficial for the recreational and commercial, uh, uh, you know, ventures. Yeah, I mean, I've read all their resumes. Everybody starts at even with me. I'm I'm going to be hopeful. Okay. That uh, uh, Mr. Reagan will be a uh, productive commissioner mm -hmm. and and help move this agency forward. Uh, I saw the same information you did about uh, um, his willingness to consider management one of one species of marine mammal to help another. Right. I, that 
leads me to be hopeful. Yeah. Um, I've also heard that when he was in charge uh, of uh, writing a biop uh, for the stellar sea lion in the North Pacific, uh, that his biop proposed shutting down all federal fisheries, period, mm. in the North Pacific. And a certain st uh, senator from Alaska um, pulled rank, and uh, he was removed from writing the biop. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and transferred to another job. Oh, um, that sounds and, and like it got got so to an upper level. <laughs> as a younger professional, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's uh, stories out there that he was pretty over the top. So yeah. uh, that said, everybody gets a chance to perform mm -hmm. uh, in Brian Blake's world, and we'll see. Um, you know, if the chairman calls them up, has a hearing, mm -hmm. whether the committee acts on that or they let him ride for a year and, and uh, come back next year and make a decision after they've seen how he performs sure. and the other commissioners. Yeah. You know, speaking of a chance to perform, they're going to get a chance here pretty soon because mm -hmm. that black bear hunt is coming back up for a vote. Yeah. So we're going to know pretty soon. The other thing is, you know, when I look at Tim Reagan's resume, right, I, I think to myself, you know, we've got a huge um, salmon production issue, right? Yeah. Huge hatchery problem. And I tell you what, if I've got if I've got an electrical problem in my house, right? I don't go call the tree guy to knock down a couple of cottonwoods in my front yard, right? That's not going to help me. If 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 anything, if the tree falls in my house, it's going to make it worse. Sure. And so I look at this and I look at his background in you know pinnipeds, sea lions, and seals, which are we know today are already overpopulated. Mm -hmm. The seal population in the Sound is over two and a half times what the Puget Sound can support already. Right. Okay. Yeah. How This kind of smells like, to me, we have an elk and deer po population problem. We're going to get two predator experts, Lorna Smith and Fred Koontz, <laughs> and we're going to bring them in because they've got a lot of zoology experience. To protect the predators? To, to go yeah. help this problem. So, I'm, right. I mean, I'm going to be watching closely, Yeah. Um, in particular, Tim Reagan, to see how this comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and where he draws the hard line. And, and as you alluded to, Brian, you know, is he going to make the call in support of when it's time to eliminate, exterminate, remove some of these problematic? Manage. manage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Kinder, gentler terms, right? Manage some of these uh, problematic uh, pinnipeds. I guess we will see. So uh, who else we got there, Tommy? So John Lemkul, and I, I, you know, when I read his, his resume, he seems kind of um, the most promising of the three that were recently appointed. But he's a uh, former research wildlife biologist, resident of Wenatchee. He's got uh, also a um, pretty, pretty hefty stack of education here. Bachelor's degree in wildlife biology, uh, master's in wildlife ecology, and a doctoral degree in forest science from the UW. Um, we won't hold that against him because my wife's a cougar. But uh, I will say <laughs> She's that... She's not nearly old enough to be a cougar. No, Don't no, not that, that kind of cougar. Oh, sorry. Let's, come on, keep your head out of the gutter. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, you know, for me personally, it's not about your education. Right. It, it is about your experience. Okay. Yeah. What you what you have attained as a professional in mm -hmm. your career mm -hmm. is more important to me than what you studied in school, and so to me, having him be um, a former research wildlife biologist, and then for him to come out and say explicitly he's a lifelong hunter and angler, that goes a lot further with me than any degree that you're going to get, um, you know, from the UW or any other university of credit. Um, you know, and so he he's made the statement that he believes in sound scientific management. Of fish and wildlife in Washington. I think they're all kind of saying that at this point, mm -hmm. but um, looking at his background and, and self-proclaimed hunter and fisher, 
I think um, he's got my support from the beginning, but I'll be watching him as well. Yeah, we've been advocating to try and, you know, let's land some some of those who partake in either fishing and hunting and or both and, uh, you know, give the, give the recreational community a a little bit of a nod to say, hey, we got your back. You know, we're going we're gonna to work collectively on this stuff that in the long run, we want to make sure we're providing an opportunity <clears throat> whereby mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's within the matrix to, to give you opportunity to go out and harvest and enjoy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so folks that I know have had a professional relationship with uh, Mr. Lemkul, and they speak highly of him. Good. And, and so, you know, performance will be... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, measured, and we'll see how they how they vote and advocate, and and uh, uh, I'm hopeful. So uh, then that leads us to uh, Melanie Rowland. She's a resident of Twisp. Uh, was an attorney at the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration (NOAA). Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're pulling some we're pulling some players here from some some uh, entities of high regard, and those that have a lot of say in some of the way. Things go here in Washington State relative mm-hmm. to our fisheries, and she's got an extensive resume as well. And she's currently uh, busy as senior counsel in the Wilderness Society over there on the east side. And she, uh, you know, I'd have to take a half an hour to read through all her accomplishments and accolades. But um, she is uh, um, she has also served on the Seattle Audubon Washington Environmental Council Foundation of Environment and Pacific Biodiversity. We hear this term a lot anymore, Brian, biodiversity. Mm-hmm. We get inundated with diversity and inclusion and everything in society now. You know, you turn the news on all day long, it's about um, diversity and inclusion. Okay, great, that's what society is now, right? Yeah. Um, and then in our management, we're constantly inundated now with biodiversity. Look, I get it, biodiversity is important, um, whereby we've recognized the failures of taking uh, Green River Chinook salmon strain and seeding all Puget Sound rivers with that right. one strain of Chinook. And we've realized after 40 years, 35 years, 40 years, how horrible of an idea that was. Yeah. And the problems it has created. To the point where we had David Trout uh, in studio here and we were talking about them recognizing that there is no genetic link. Talk about biodiversity. There is no ge- genetic link currently of the strain of Chinook salmon in the Nisqually River that would replicate or even resemble anything that previously was a true natural, mm-hmm. biological natural spawning fish in that system. Wow. So yeah. they've, they've altered the gene pool enough that they have this standalone that they recognize as now Nisqually strain. Although it's truly genetically from Green River stock, which has proven to be an inferior fish in how it turns color in the salt. You know, the table fare on it is mediocre at best. Um, it doesn't have really good genes for high fat content. They're having discussions of, do we need to just swap out entirely? The strain of fish that we're utilizing in this, in this environment put in a far superior genetic strength-wise, uh, you know, survivability-wise, high fat content, more of a spring chinook type of a fish. Yeah. It's all based on run timing of when these smolt out and release for them to return. So they could take a superior genetic line of fish that they're looking at, focusing in on, and put it in a squally and, and, and just change it, right, yeah. for the betterment. And then you look at that and go, this is now the recognized genetic strain, the bio strain, the biodiversity we're going to utilize in this system, and this is what we are going to really work hard to bring back. So I get it. 
It's just the flags kind of go up when, um, you well, know. That, yeah, that's a lack of diversity. Though. Hold on a second. If that's take, a lack of diversity. That's a lack of diversity. If I take Currently. the same strain yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's I put a, it in every single that was the river, point. Yes. that is just a lack yeah, of diversity. Yeah, historically right? we screwed it up. Yep. So biodiversity is important, right? Yep. We need to recognize where we're at now and genetic strains and, and whatnot. But how come is uh, when the Centers for Biological Diversity weigh in on all these different things, they always seem to be kind of on the other side of things. I, you know, I read articles where they state the Centers for Biological Diversity, you know, now they want to do this. They have 1.7 million persons that are associated with this group, mm-hmm. and they just never seem to be on par with the direction we want to see some things go, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, Aren't they, I think they're based out of Arizona. I think they are. If I'm not mistaken. And, yeah. and they, they're, they reared their head on a couple things, you know, the orca stuff, and I believe even some of the wolf stuff. You know, they're weighing in on this. And I'm like, why is this group down in Arizona weighing in on how we're managing our wolves on the east side of the state mm-hmm. here? So, yeah, but I don't think they're weighing in on how we restore mountain caribou in eastern Washington. <laughs> that's no. a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, do you, what, do you know, what do you know about Melanie? Anything? Um, uh, just pretty much what you wrote there. Um, it's, it's, uh, um, uh, she's a wild card. I, I don't know. I, I know she's well connected within the... Uh, um, uh, community in the greater King County area. Okay. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, and then um, members of her family are um, active in some groups, is what I've heard. But I don't know any more information on okay. that. Okay. Again, I'm gonna clean slate. She's a new yeah. commissioner, and I'm I'm going to uh, you know wait to see how she performs. Mm-hmm. And so in that spotlight, so we have, you know, that's the process that's in place currently, and hopefully we, we, we stay there. Appointed by the governor, confirmed by the Senate, uh, within a year's time. So they have that, they're basically on probation. Well, there's no limit on that. They can they confirm them right away, couldn't they? they? They could confirm them right away, sure. or they could never confirm them. Right, right. Uh, so commissioners have served eight, nine years without ever being confirmed. Why would the Senate do that? Um, uh, sometimes they didn't have the votes to not confirm them or confirm them, oh, okay. and so they're just stuck. Yeah, yeah. But isn't isn't it written in there if within a one year's time, or is that the new language? That's the proposal in a bill. That was the new language uh, in the bill proposal under the, yes, okay. Yeah, that's the Jesse Solomon Van yeah. bill. Yeah, if not confirmed in a year, then to be replaced or yeah, replaced yeah. by the governor. And, okay. And I don't like the structure of that either. Okay. Um, I, I think that, uh, so they saw the hearing on those two bills. Honeyford's bill said if the governor doesn't fill a slot um, within 60 days, there was consequences, the legislature, the four corners, would fill that seat. Okay. I kind of like that bill. Yeah. There's some pressure to, uh, on the governor's office to fill seats. Um, Allowing uh, one a chairman of a committee, and boy, I was a chairman of a committee, and it's nice to have power, but allowing a single chairman to then have that ability to confirm or not confirm sets up another bad dynamic, in my opinion. Yep. Um, and, uh, and and so I that half uh, that proposal I'm not a fan of. Well, uh, before we get out of here, uh, we would be uh, remiss here if we didn't mention the fact that uh, uh, House Bill 2027 was introduced. 
which now lawmakers are mulling over the creation of a task force to come up with a new WDFW governance option, study, <laughs> study tweaking or ditching the commission and review both bodies, uh, you know, moving forward. So in other words, here we are talking about the new appointees to the commission and whether or not they will be confirmed at some point. And we're going to sit back and kind of take posture and see how they perform. And, and Tommy had mentioned a little bit ago, we got this bear vote coming up again in March. They're going to have to revisit this thing, right? Um, uh, relying on WDFW to provide uh, sound science that they can support the fact that we should move forward with a spring bear hunt. We should not disallow it. And so I'm looking at this uh, commission now, finally, of nine seats filled. Um, and I'm kind of going, well, I, I think we're going to land at a 5-4 in favor of. And I, and I, and I say that because I think uh, out of John, we have a person who will probably stand by that. We already know we have four secure votes that were there from, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to hold to the positive side and think we may land at a 5-4. Tommy, what do you think? On the, I agree. On the no, spring I bear? I totally agree. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. I guess we'll see. But what I took away from this new bill that was uh, constructed here in, 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 in did you say you, you, uh, I watched the you hearing. watched the hearing on this one? Absolutely. Weigh in on this a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, um, I didn't like the tone of the bill mm-hmm. because I think that the way the bill was written, it assumes that the current structure is not uh, is the problem right I don't think the current structure is the problem I would I think agree the voters got it right when they created uh, and passed referendum 45 I believe it mm-hmm. was uh, 95 yeah and in 95 uh, yes because uh, I think to it, create the commission yeah to yes. create the commission right. in its current form and so I suppose my gut tells me it's still the best form of governance mm-hmm. for an agency like this who is no, it's always uh, conflict every day. These, uh, you know, we we can badmouth fish and wildlife, but they go to work every day facing conflict. Sure, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just within elk hunting, you know, the bow hunters against the muzzleloaders <laughs> against the, you know, I mean, and then you add uh, <clears throat> the Stevens treaties mm-hmm. and, and uh, the the commercial versus sport, and and it's an agency full of con- conflict. And, and I think isolating it from politics a little bit. When I was in the legislature, you never saw me testify in front of the Fish and Wildlife Commission because I took that seriously that the voters wanted some separation between legislators and the commission. Interesting. Um, other legislators were right there. Some of them bad-mouthing me in front of the commission. But, but you drew the um, line. You were like, I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah, and I just didn't, I thought it was important that the legislature, did I talk to individual commissioners from time to time? Absolutely. Sure, absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and I think you'll, you'll find if you talk to them that I never pressured them to do one thing or the other. And uh, I think, so I'm starting from, this is the right form of governance, um, but we've got to impress upon our executive branch to put good people in there, open-minded people, people of uh, substance that can weigh input from the public, mm-hmm. the law, yep. the mission mm-hmm. of the agency, and make sound decisions, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and and not inject politics uh, into the decisions of the. Uh, Commission, and so that said, I think 2027 you will see that 
probably the bill won't pass, mm -hmm. but they'll put something in the back of the budget um, in a proviso saying, you know, the four corners, uh, the Republicans and Democrats in the House and Senate are going to meet during the off year and invite testimony. Uh, under the bill, it's like, okay, we got to have a representative from this group and that group on, on this. Yeah, they want to panel of group. 15 persons it, it, to weigh isn't in. Isn't that a joke? I mean, you got nine commission seats, right? You're yeah. going to have 15, judge nine? Yeah, they want to have, so, and, and as you said, you were there. A couple, couple takeaways when I read through this whole thing, and I read it twice because I wanted to try and wrap my you know, head around this thing. They want to they bring together a panel of 15 to review the current commission in, in how it functions. Is it beneficial? Is it, uh, is it doing the work that it was intended to do? Is it, is it serving the citizens of the state? All those things, right? So they want to they bring this panel together of 15 per legislators, hunters, fishers, gatherers, whatever. A broad spectrum. Um, and they're gonna they're gonna finalize that and have a report, which basically would be, the, in their opinion, um, do we continue to move forward with the commission in its current makeup, or do we dissolve it and come up with some other, right. you know, dream team or whatever? Um, as you had said, the process has been working, and I think we were talking before the show. I'm thinking back 10, 15 years ago. We didn't have this turmoil within the commission of Fish and Wildlife. We had issues that they were trying to resolve. We've always had issues. We mm -hmm. always are trying to make sure we have more fish to go after and sporties and commercials and everybody get along, kumbaya, and hey, let's work for the better, the good. But um, we didn't have this delay in appointments from a seated mm -hmm. governor. We didn't have those who were appointed be so questionable in what their personal agenda is which is conflicting with the other persons who are currently seated on the commission. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of this internal turmoil going. And so as you look at this unfolding and all the indecision and the, the uh, headbutting that goes on in these Zoom meetings, and again, because of COVID and Zoom, we have more uh, recreational folks with eyes on these mm -hmm. meetings that we've ever had. Yeah. So people are truly getting a sense of what goes on at these meetings and they're just like, oh my gosh, what is the deal? Ron Garner said it best. He was quoted to say, the commission does work. It does its job. The framework has not been broken. What's been broken is the implementation and lack of commissioners. Mm -hmm. And he's right because you can dig it up and it was posted in the article, 451 days is the number of days Larry Carpenter sat as chair on the commission past his term expiring. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. Governor Inslee left him there. And then 389 days. Tommy and I were talking a couple weeks ago. We're like, how yeah. long has it been since that East Side seat, seat yep. was vacant? It was, it was Dave's seat. And I go, man, I think it's over a year. It was 389 days with no consequences, nobody leveraged into the, you know, hey, Governor, are you going to appoint somebody? I mean, I'm sure they were saying it, but there's no pressure, right? And then we had another 39 days, 40 days for the at-large position. So collectively, we're talking you know, a good amount of days of vacancies, yeah. then the persons that are being appointed, perhaps, you know, Kuntz left because he was like, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. He had no idea what he's getting yeah. into. And doesn't, doesn't that tell you something? Doesn't that tell you that this, you know, um, proposed panel of 15 people, they shouldn't be meddling with the affairs of the commission. They should be looking at the criteria process for those that are actually appointed to the commission. That's a very good point. To make sure that they yeah. are qualified 
to meet the mission statement of the commission, right? Yeah. Vet the people that are coming in so you know that they're qualified and they can do the job once they're in the commission. Don't sit there and try to judge them once they're in, yep. right, and put a political thumb on top of them and say, oh, no, no, hey, wrong decision there, wrong decision there, and, and have this, like, subjective criteria. I don't think that was what the bill author's uh, intent was. Uh, um, I think he, he had a bill written mm -hmm. to address the issue, and it's an imperfect bill. And I say that as somebody who introduced a whole bunch of imperfect bills. <laughs> you, gotta, um, you understand I, an imperfect bill or two, huh? And, yeah. And I think uh, they recognize, um, uh, from what I'm hearing, they they recognize that um, because if you put 15 on there, every group says, "No, I want another uh, person from my issue to right. be on there." And right. Let's keep it half the four corners. Mm -hmm. The four corners. And take testimony from any group that wants to provide input. Right. And uh, and I think it's fair. Uh, the voters uh, did this in '95. I think it's fair for uh, the legislature to say, you know, let's take a look at this. Let's see if this is the best system, or if there's a better system out there. And uh, and we'll come back with recommendations. Sure. I think yep. that's fair. Okay. Well, it is interesting to see to look at who supported the bill as well. Um, so CCA now popping up twice on the list tonight. Mm -hmm. um, first with the uh, Senate Bill 5721 to consolidate natural resource management under the Commissioner of Public Lands, i.e. Mm -hmm. the dictatorship under Hillary Franz, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was the first one. There was two, two pros, uh, four and 259 against that one. Um, and here they are again supporting this one as well. Trout Unlimited, uh, add to that, as well as uh, NSIA. So mm -hmm. um, it kind of tells me all I need to know in terms of this, you know, this bill should not be supported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's other ways to go about in it. In its I, current form. In its current form. I, you know, accountability is good, but I think first we need to pull back and get some accountability going, one, on the person who is supposed mm -hmm. to be appointing persons to the seats, not allow for hundreds and hundreds of days of vacancies to be acceptable. Two, that these persons are a little more vetted from more than an individual or whatever that small collective group is or whoever's out recruiting uh, yeah. on said individuals and really make sure that they are open-minded, as you said, mm -hmm. uh, and here for the betterment of everybody, not just select groups that they're trying to appease. Right. And that's where we're running into a problem, right? So if we fix that, I think we'll get back to persons on the commission that are there to do good for everybody yeah. and have an open-minded approach, that umbrella approach he spoke of yeah. a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. yeah. and take into account that, you know, being a commissioner on the Fish and Wildlife Commission isn't just about pinnipeds. It's not just about, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to save the orcas. It's not about, hey, let's make sure we, uh, you know, harvest our timber at a, at a you know, reasonable pace. It's, it's all of it. It's all encompassing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another problem I saw in the bill is they, I think it's, specifically mentioned what revisiting the mission statement of the agency. Yeah. I think the mission statement of the agency is fine. Sure. I do too. And uh, and I so I get a little nervous when they talk about revisiting that. Mm -hmm. And because given the campaign uh, that that group from out of state group and Center for Biological Diversity have come in and are actively saying we need to change the mission of the agency. Um, uh, makes me nervous. Yep. 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 All right. Well, enough commission talk. We're going to wait okay. and see where this goes. I think the next thing that'll be on the docket for everybody to pay attention to, Tommy, 
and we'll have eyes on it for sure. March commission meeting, when they bring that spring bear vote up, it's really going to show the hand where some of these folks lie. Yep. It's kind of the first hurdle to get through. And, and uh, we got some time to see where they're going to kind of, you know, where their allegiance lies, so to speak, moving forward. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride right here in Bremerton, Washington. Arima Boats offers all of our boats with Honda outboard packages so that you can take full advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. With literally thousands of Arima boats on the water throughout the Pacific Northwest, Arima boats are a proven hull design that offers incredible fuel economy and all of the amenities that a serious angler is looking for. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why we back our boats with a lifetime warranty. All of our Arima boats are designed to maximize deck space while also providing ample seating. Contact us today at Arima Boats for all your boating needs and let us help you get out on the water. Today, the need for quality private security services is at an all-time high. Contract Security Service provides day-to-day -day peace of mind as they protect people and property. Here at Phoenix, we provide service for multiple state and federal contracts with services ranging from uniform, patrol, alarm monitoring, canine detection, executive protection, as well as investigative work. Phoenix client management models are built on understanding our clients' security needs and responding with a tailored program that is best fit for them. Phoenix provides excellent customer service through well-trained, highly motivated security professionals. Recruiting highly qualified officers is the first step in building a strong team. Currently, we are comprised of 70% prior law enforcement and military veterans. If you are prior military or law enforcement, go to www.phoenixprotectivecorps.com and apply today. Hey, welcome back in studio here. Dwayne England, Tommy Donlin, of course, our in-studio guests, former state representative Brian Blake. And uh, we keep asking you back because that head of yours is so filled with knowledge, we can't just expect you to sit home and keep it all to yourself. Mm -hmm. So There you go. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, hey, so, you know, when you were a CETA representative, you in, uh, were involved quite a bit with some of the House bills that would come across uh, and come out of, or try to come out of committee and were drafted by some of your constituents, you know, as it would uh, weigh on, on, on uh, guns and, you know, gun safety and, and just the whole gamut, right? And we've, right. we've sat here the last several years and just watched a number of these bills come and go and things are introduced at the state legislature. We're just like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me because at the end of the day, for law-abiding citizens like us, and who who enjoy the freedoms and the rights and the privileges of having firearms and use for what it is we use them for, i.e., hunting, some hobby shooting, and you know the the ability to to self-load and whatever, you know those are rights that are given to us or that we that we have a right to have. And and for persons to sit in Olympia and, and write bills to try and take some of that away from us, uh, to no fault of our own, just does not sit well. Yeah. at all. And so they may think on the service they're writing this stuff and they try to sell it to the public. Hey, it's going to make the streets safer. Hey, we're going to get the guns out of the hands of the criminals. Hey, we're going to, you know, if we do away with this type of mechanism or this uh, action on this 
particular rifle or this suppressor, whatever it is, uh, it's the betterment for all. And at the end of the day, that particular action also is in this gun or that gun that I use, you know, for hunting big game or shooting my shotgun, whatever it is. Uh, there's crossover. And that's why we wanted you in here tonight is because that crossover affects us, who, again, yeah. are law-abiding citizens that just want to have our guns to go hunting and do our thing um, and, and do no harm to anybody. But if for, for some reason, Olympia, we can't see it that way. Now, the first handful of uh, bills, I kind of ran through a bunch of them. The other reason I want you here is, because, look, uh, you know, I'm not exactly the smartest guy on the planet, but I don't think I'm in the category of one of the dumbest. But when I read through this stuff, it's very confusing. The language, how it's written, how it's drafted, how, it's, how it progresses through there, the things they interject, I'm just like, what does this mean, right? So part of it is I, re I read through a number of the House bills, 1901, 1618, bunch of numbers thrown out there. Most of them seem to have to do with gun zone laws. You can have concealed carry, but you're not permitted to bring a gun into this particular type of building. You're not allowed to bring this gun into this particular zone. We all know how well gun-free zones work. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're a bad guy and you read a gun-free zone, you know, I mean, is it, has it really helped anything? Does you as a legislator, has putting a sign up anywhere in public society where it says gun-free zone, has that ever served a positive purpose? You know, I I, uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, and and I've been willing, uh, with some caveats, to accept uh, some of those things, if they will accept um, uh, the responsibility of my safety mm -hmm. and the liability of that. If right. I get once they take responsibility for my safety away from me, um, and give me the ability to store. Uh, my 642 Airweight Smith, while I go into their their zone, uh, and if they accept responsibility, if I'm hurt, mm -hmm. while they're responsible for my safety, I'm, and uh, uh, they'll compensate my family if I get killed, uh, you know, I, I guess I can accept that. I don't think it it's particularly productive. Right. But... Um, uh, you know, I, for years, uh, you're not supposed to have a gun in the post office when I go to my post office box to grab my mail. Right. So am I supposed to leave it on the seat of my car or yeah. under the seat of my car mm -hmm. or, um, while I go in there and out? Um, that's not good either. And, and so if I'm going uh, uh, somewhere where I can't possess, um, I think they have an obligation to provide uh, lockable storage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and accept liability for my safety. I would, I would love to believe that they would do that, but we know that absolutely is not going to happen. I mean, if you look at society today, and I was just talking about this on my personal Facebook page, you look at, you look at what's going on. I could just recount in the past couple of days what's happened, what I've seen. We went to Safelight to have the windshield repaired in our Subaru, replaced. And as I'm sitting there, there was a like a gathering of tweakers in the parking lot. There was like eight tweakers. They were all standing there. And then all of a sudden, it was like they broke a huddle, and they all started walking the parking lot. It was like the walking <laughs> You said dead. they designed to play. It was they like they a... designed to play. This guy <laughs> went, that guy, and now I've got, I'm uh... sitting there in my truck, you know, waiting for Justine Subaru to be done. And I've got one going by the right side of my truck, one going by the left side, one behind me. And I'm, and I'm waiting for my wife to come out and get in her car, right? Yeah. 
and I think of that. I go to LA Fitness, okay? Let me tell you what, LA Fitness this morning, nobody showed up to enter, to, to unlock the building. A patron unlocked LA Fitness so we could get in. What? Yes. How does that work? Oh, and by the way, the bus stop <laughs> on the street, right in front of LA Fitness, had a barrel fire going right underneath the awning of the bus stop. What is going on The flame on was there? three foot high. Oh. So you're telling me yeah. that you're worried about me, the law-abiding citizen that I mm-hmm. am, having yes, a magazine that has a capacity over 17 rounds. That's mm-hmm. Senate Bill 5078. Okay. You're joking, right? To me, this bill is just their chance to get their foot in the door to say, oh, you know, 17, 17 is too much. Mm-hmm. It should be 12, right? And how did they come up with 17? Right? Yeah. And then it's like, well, you know, California does 10. Mm-hmm. We should be like them. They're very we should pro- be like we, California. They're very progressive. Yeah, they're doing we should great be 10. things. So what do, you, what do you make of this, you know, banning magazines over 17 rounds? What is your thought? Yeah, I, I'm opposed to that. I've always been opposed to that. Uh, I think... What we're talking about is standard capacity magazines, and mm-hmm. I, I brought some props here. Okay. Uh, these are two of the exact same magazine. Um, uh, uh, the exact same. They function the same way. Mm-hmm. I can switch the ammo in this room for to this one, and vice versa. This is a 20-round magazine. This would be illegal. With what ammo is in it right now? And 223. Mm-hmm. Is uh, you got 223 in there, and it's a 20-round magazine. Same magazine. Yep. In 458 SOCOM mm-hmm. for an AR style rifle. Yep. Is a seven round magazine. So. Uh, so the, which is it? The is it a 20 round magazine right. or is it a seven round magazine? Right. And uh, here we have uh, a uh, a 30 round magazine. Okay. Same exact magazine is a 10 round magazine. Depending on. You got the load. 458 SOCOM in that one, then you got 223. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm a police officer and this this bill is being passed into law, how am I going to know whether you're a law-abiding citizen or not? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, it, 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 and what's the purpose? So if I, if I, you know, and I read into that, it's like, well, it's been proven on some of these mass shootings that uh, the, the would-be perp uh, having to reload more frequently gives uh, probable uh, victims more time for escape. I'm like, really? That's where we're going? Because I can pop a clip out of a gun and jam another one and then continue shooting within five to ten seconds. And that's mm-hmm. slow, right? Yeah. So really, I mean, when you drill down on this, it's like, what's the intent? What are the intent of some of these bills? Because they certainly aren't drafted uh, for the safety of us. Right. You know, the fact that you can't take a, a, a registered, holstered, concealed carry permitted firearm into a post office. Okay. And then it's been proven time and time again that when the would-be shooter comes into any building and nobody else has anything in there to return fire, they just go for it, man. Yeah. There's nothing stopping mm-hmm. on police. And now in today's society, police is how many minutes away until they get a reasonable response and can intervene. So right. in comparison, it's been proven time and time again. And there's no disputing this at the state level legislation. They can... They can beat up on this all day long. In any instance where there has been a, a person, a would-be, a good, you know, a good citizen in there, a patron, what have you, somebody pulls a gun, starts shooting. They pull a gun, start shooting, and subdue that person, take them out, or that that individual then flees. Far Absolutely. less compromised individuals. Far less mm-hmm. carnage has been weighed, right? Um, but they won't talk about this. They don't want to recognize the fact that. 
persons, law-abiding citizens, permitted for concealed carry, permitted to have firearms in their vehicle, what have you, have intervened time and time again and saved persons' lives. Yeah. Whereas when you remove that ability to protect ourselves, uh, bad things happen mm -hmm. to a lot of very good people. So, but that's not the intent of some of these bills. Here's where we're at, obviously, because we're talking hunting and fishing. Um, that stuff community-wise is important in, in why they want to continue with these restriction zones and stuff. I don't understand. I wanted to throw that at you because I want to ask you quite blank. Has those gun-free zones ever saved anybody? No. Right? It doesn't no. make a difference. You're a bad guy, you're a bad guy. It doesn't no, make a I difference. I think it creates more risk. It does create more risk, yeah. So, um, really what it comes down to, Tommy had already mentioned it there on uh, 5078, you know, some of these bills being introduced cross over into what it is we like to do. Hunting, uh, shooting at the range, uh, the the option and the, the right to load our own ammo, what is, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is. But, uh, 5217, semi-automatic firearms ban. Semi-automatic firearms ban. It lists a host of things there. Yeah. Yeah, it just blows me away. Uh, um, we were joking about social media. And uh, just last week, I think, on on a local Facebook page up the Wishkaw Valley, uh, folks said, did you hear that shooting Sunday morning? Um, and, uh, yeah, I heard that. And, uh uh, it was duck hunters, and she said, no. She said it was clearly a semi-automatic, which everybody knows is illegal. <laughs> and, it's like, and, uh, and it's like, hello. I can point to two of them right yeah. behind me, right, and, uh, in a pump. So it, It's just crazy. Uh, that. Uh, so creating a list of banned firearms, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now there's a list. It and, was extensive. And, and it's extensive, yeah. and lists are made to be added to. Right. That's right. Well, you know, and this is just giving giving the government a reason to come into your home for whatever reason they deem possible, because all of a sudden they've created this list, they've created all these rules, and now you've broken one of them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which, if, if 50, 5217, the semi-auto firearms ban, were to pass, that would include rifles under the length of 30 inches overall. Not only that, it would include um, suppressors, flash guards, any kind of eliminator, hider, any kind of suppressor, silencer, or anything of that nature. And, and this just blows my mind away. In addition to that, a muzzle brake, mm -hmm. okay? Basically a recoil compensator. Something you have a that muzzle brake on a few of yours? Uh, on all my Magnums. Yeah, all, you do. They yeah. all have muzzle mm -hmm. brakes, right? Yeah. And it's like, you, you know, in my mind, the, the, the last time I checked, gangbangers weren't rolling down the street with muzzle brakes, <laughs> you know, on their Tech 9s yep. or, or whatnot. Yep. And, this, you know, muzzle brakes are something that you put on a, a large rifle or if you're getting a um, you know, young individual into hunting, right, and you don't want them to be shy of the recoil, but you mm -hmm. want the, to get them in the game, you put a brake on the rifle, they're right. a lot more comfortable shooting sure, it, yeah. right? So now you're taking an opportunity away from the youth. But in terms of protecting the public, this does absolutely nothing, so it really just blows my mind the list of things that they've come up with. It's just to say, hey, if you own a gun, um, you might as well quit now. That's really what this bill says. Isn't this common practice, Brian? They, they draft these bills, and you, you, you admittedly said, you know, you, you've drafted a few bad ones, or, you know, poorly written, I think you yeah. said, right? Semi-automatic firearms ban. And as Tommy alluded to, they list all these other things, and they're, they're talking barrel lengths in there and suppressors and flashes and just... They go down this list, muzzle brake, the whole deal. They just throw it all in there, right? And if yeah. this thing passes, it's all inclusive. There's yeah. no uh, picking mm -hmm. and choosing. It's like, yep, it's all in there. You can no longer have that, Mr. Donlin. Uh, that's illegal. Yeah. And again, it serves no purpose in the 
in you know the good of the public. It's not going to protect anybody from anything. Uh, a friend of mine on here is a state trooper. He says, look, the uh, the uh, 10 years with the capacity restrictions during the Brady Bill had zero effect on crime. Right. He's talking from a law officer's perspective, right? So, yeah. you know, some of these things get implemented and like there's no, is there any follow-up? You never hear about, oh, you know, thank goodness this law was in place because we saved uh, 1,200 lives this year. There's none of that. It doesn't mm -hmm. exist. They can't, they can't pull up that data to say it's done any good. You know, again, the gun-free zone it tells criminals, hey, Pretty much if, you know, all these law-abiding citizens are doing what they're supposed to do, nobody in this church is going to have a gun. Nobody in this mm -hmm. uh, federal building is going to have a gun. Nobody is going to. They right. did the ammo tax in Seattle. Yeah. Homicides have went up. Now, uh, is there a direct correlation? Probably not. Sure. But, uh, they certainly didn't go down. No, that's a good point. No, that's because yeah, they yeah. have an open-air drug trade in right. downtown right. Seattle. So, uh, Senate Bill 5568 concerning preemption of municipal law. First of all, for those that don't know, explain what preemption is. And with them going after this, what, what kind of change that would make? Yeah, I think it was in the 80s that the legislature said uh, the, the, uh, uh, in the arena of firearms law, um, the legislature controls. And, and so your local laws can be as strict as state law, but they can't be more strict. And, uh, and that has served us well. I, I personally believe your civil rights should be the same whether you're in Spokane, Seattle, Aberdeen, Shelton. Mm -hmm. And I, I think having in that arena, when you're talking about a constitutional liberty, um, uh, it should be consistent. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just hope that one does not pass. It would be a morass and a, mm -hmm. and a real problem. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean, I mean, can you imagine how that would look like? Okay, you get into uh, the Seattle city limits and now um, concealed carry is illegal. So you've got to, um, you know, you know, disarm yourself, make sure you put the gun into a locked gun case, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, unload it, put the ammo somewhere else in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And now, and now you can enter Seattle mm -hmm. and then you leave. Right. And you go to the East side and you get to Ellensburg and you're like, Oh, okay. I can, I can wear my concealed carry weapon yeah. now again, where you probably right? don't need it. And where you do exactly. need it, they, they handcuff you and stuff you and say, right. you, you know, you Ellensburg's a pretty rough town. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bunch of cowboys there. So, uh, well, you know that just uh, that helps clear the air a little bit on some of these gun bills. Um, I'm very curious if any of these will pass again. They seem to get kind of drugged down in the it's, process. It's really hard to tell, um, and I haven't been following these on the floor schedule to see okay. um, how they're going. And uh, uh, I'm worried. Uh, the upside is that uh, it's an election year, and I'm hopeful that they will not go. <laughs> crazy with gun bills yeah. in election year. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good point because um, you know folks remember when they go to the ballot, say, "Oh yeah, that's right, he or she voted for this." So, gotcha. Well, hey, appreciate that insight. Uh, kind of helps clear it up for a lot of folks tuning in here because again, it's very confusing uh, for a lot of us to truly understand and grasp. Um, I look at any of them that are introduced. How is that going to trickle over and affect us in this environment here? Right. And of course, out there in the public sector for what's going on and the lawlessness and the lack of police enforcement right now, mm -hmm. we're all kind of up against it. So uh, appreciate you uh, weighing in on that, Brian. All right, we're gonna jump out for a quick break. We're gonna come back, close out the show. Got a few points of reference and events you mm -hmm. definitely need to attend. Don't go anywhere, stick through the break. We'll be back right here, Fish on Northwest.
Sportco, an outdoor emporium, is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer, offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. It's easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips. Or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Welcome back in studio here to Wayne England, Tommy Dolan, and our in-studio guest, Brian Blake. Hey, want to thank you again for uh, hanging out. Always an exciting evening. Yeah, always full of good information coming from you. That's why we really appreciate you taking the time. You're a busy guy. If you're not building uh, some type of waterfowl decoy, you're out killing birds. So, yeah. Yeah. you know. Brand what? hunting this weekend. Yeah, awesome. I'm going to have to try one of them. I have yeah. yet to shoot a brand or taste it. So Yeah, they're a wonderful bird. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, want to remind folks here before we go, uh, Sportsman Show is coming up starting as early as next week. Setup day is Tuesday, Tommy. I know, it's don't, going up quick. Don't worry, we got it. You got it? Yeah. <laughs> because you're... Well, you look like you need a workout. Yeah, so I, think, I know. I yeah, I'm withering okay. away here. Um, yes, booth 659 or thereabouts. We're negotiating the terms of the agreement between Max Lure and us, exactly which corner we will occupy. But we will be in the main Showplex building in around 659, 657. Tons of swag. We got so much new gear coming out. Uh, mm -hmm. to include big beer mugs, coffee mugs, all kinds of really great, fantastic clothing items. Lots of selection for the ladies as well. Shing's on top of this. It's her program. Mm -hmm. So trust me, she's taking care of the ladies as well. Uh, Jingling Jigs hats and sweatshirts, hoodies and stuff will be there. You guys have been asking for those. Jordan's been uh, busy getting his logos uh, printed up and, and getting uh, the print shop to work on all that. So we got tons of stuff coming. We'll be there all week, going to have a prize wheel to spin, buy a certain item, spin the wheel, win a free prize, tons of stuff to give away. We'll be selling Fisherman's Brew coffee. We'll be giving away coffee. Just going to be a great time. Yes, mask mandates will probably still be in place, but you know what? We didn't have a show last year. Come on down, support all the vendors, help support us so we can continue to do what it is we love to do. And the Fish on Northwest uh, Allied Mustang P21 hardtop will be on display, Tommy. Yeah, yours. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so the boat dope. will be there at the Defiance tent. Yeah. You can check out the Allied series, and of course, Defiance will be there with some Defiance boats, and and uh, Stephen will be over there in the main showplex with us, mm -hmm. uh, displaying some of the newer Rima models. Yep. I think that uh, that tw uh, 19 foot uh, hardtop yellowtail mm -hmm. will be there. That mm -hmm. thing's a. I love that boat. Isn't that a great little boat? I love that little boat. If I had to cruise around yeah. and keep the sound of something all day long. That'd, yeah. Absolutely. I was just going to say, like, you know, when you get on Dwayne's boat, make sure you wear, you know, muddy boots, 
Yeah. Know, preferably if you just got done cleaning a pig pen. Oh, good Or idea. maybe changing the oil. Gutting a deer, whatever. You know, a big diesel gutting a deer <laughs> or anything like that. It'd be good. Let's get her know. dirty. Um, anyway, so yes, we'll be down there. Lots to see and do. Uh, come hang out. We'll have the tub chair sitting in the, uh, in the booth just to sit down and talk with folks, man. Yeah. Enjoy it. Right, so are we doing the, the coffee mug? You buy a coffee mug, you get a cup of Fisherman's Brew. Are we doing that? Yeah, we're going to fill it up for you before you walk away. Right You're going to drink fresh Fisherman's Brew out of the gate. Oh, yeah. You know, for those that are of age and aren't driving, we might even give you a little sh- shot of schnapps in there or something. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, anyway, also tell me, we got the uh, we got the boat show going on. We do. We got the boat show coming up uh, February 4th, Friday to February 12th, which is a Saturday. Yep. Um, yours truly is going to be given uh, four seminars. So I got... Uh, the first one coming up February 4th, Friday at 7 p.m., and that's how to fine tuna, right? And I wanted to do this seminar. It's a brand new seminar, but the tuna runs the last two years have just been a big challenge. You know, it's been a big ocean, mm-hmm. a lot of confused water in terms of water temperature and chlorophyll. Um, and so I thought that people would really value from just learning how to fine tuna by looking at data. It's a good call. And so that's. Um, you know, that's what that's going to be about. In that seminar, I'm also going to talk about uh, how we found the fish to win the Washington Tuna Classic. So don't miss that one. That's the first one, February 4th. Second one, uh, February 9th, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Um, and, and this is a new seminar as well. And what I wanted to do is really focus on not just talking about catching halibut and link cod, because I think that's pretty, pretty easy. Most people can do it. But I wanted to talk about really the tactics to catch the larger fish, right? Coconut. And, <laughs> no, no. Coconut. Halibut and lincoln. And so this is just really focused on how to catch large fish. Um, and then the third one, uh, also February 9th, right afterwards, 6 p.m., um, tuna tactics and tactile. So this is when I bring in all my tackle boxes, yeah. basically open them up and say, this is the gear that I use. This is how I use it. This is why I use it. That's going to be a good one. That's also a, a new one as well. Um, and then the last one, Saturday, uh, February 12th, 5 p.m., um, top bets for catching coastal king salmon. Nice. Um, so, you know, we did a lot of good king fishing this last summer, and we learned some stuff. So I wanted yeah. to roll that into a oh, new nice. seminar okay. and present that. So four Absolutely. seminars coming up, Seattle Boat Show. Um, don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. And, you know, the yeah. doors are back open, and uh, folks, you know, boots on the ground, get to walk through, check everything mm-hmm. out. Uh, attendance is highly recommended because that's how you get – you know, hands-on approach on this stuff. Um, some of the boat show seminars and things you'll be able to get online afterwards if they buy the package. Yeah, deal, if they buy right? the full package, they've got unlimited access. Yeah, to, so look into know, that. Go to Seattle Boat Show, SeattleBoatShow.com. Check all that out, and they'll have tons of info to uh, continue the online uh, experience as well as the you know show mm-hmm. up there and uh, mm-hmm. enjoy the day. Absolutely. So, uh, booth five. 69, not 659. Apparently, I'm dyslexic tonight. Five or six or niner. Yes, five or six or niner. Five or six or niner. See us there. Puyallup Sportsman Show. And we will not have a show next Thursday, Tommy, because we're going to be down there at the booth, and we're going to do some live streaming from the booth. That will be our interaction via social media throughout the week, but we'll focus in on Thursday when Tommy and I are both there that evening and uh, give you guys an update. So appreciate everybody joining us tonight. Heck of a crowd. Uh, lots of good content. Brian, can't thank you enough. Yeah. Always yeah. a pleasure. You. And uh, You know, one last thing before yeah. we go out. Yep. Um, the Archery World booth will be at the show as well. Thank you for yes. the reminder. Yes, Archery World will be just across the way, and they're bringing in their full-length I think it's like a 30-foot trailer, indoor shooting. That's awesome. So you can take bows that they have there on display. They'll size you up and figure out what your draw length is. 
and uh, let you guys actually take some of those bows and, and put them to work right there in the show complex, inside the shooting trailer, there with Archery World. Come on down there and talk with, uh, talk with the guys at Archery World. Uh, they're going to have a ton of stuff going on. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, all right, I believe that is where we're at. That is where we're at. We're signing off. Appreciate right. it, everybody. Come see us down there next week. We'll be there all week. And, uh, you know, enjoy this weather. Get out, go after some fish, do a little hunting, do something before January is over. Have a great week. We'll see you next Thursday. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish Hunt Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and, of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and Chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.